Amen. Take your Bibles, if you would, and let's go to Revelation chapter 4. We're going to skip several verses in our reading this morning as we go through this passage. Your main text is going to be in Revelation chapter 5, but I want us to just read verse 1. It says, After this I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven, and the first voice which I heard was, as it were, of a trumpet talking with me, which said, Come up hither, and I will show thee things which must be hereafter. And immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne was set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. And he that sat was to look upon like a jasper and a sardine stone. And there was a rainbow round about the throne in sight like unto an emerald. Verse 11. Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure... They are and were created. Verse 1 of chapter 5. And I saw in the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book written within and on the backside sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the book and to loose the seals thereof? And no man in heaven, nor in earth, neither under the earth, was able to open the book, neither to look thereon. And I wept much, because no man was found worthy to open and to read the book, neither to look thereon. And one of the elders saith unto me, Weep not, behold, The lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne and of the four beasts, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb, as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent forth into all the earth. And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him that sat upon the throne. And when he had taken the book, the four beasts and the four and twenty elders fell down before the Lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book. And to open the seals thereof. For thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. And hast made us unto our God kings and priests. And we shall reign on the earth. And I beheld and I heard the voice of many angels round about the throne and the beast and the elders and the number of them was ten thousand times ten thousand and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power 
and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them heard I saying, Blessing and honor and glory and power be unto him that sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb forever and ever. And the four beasts said, Amen. And the four and twenty elders fell down and worshipped him that liveth forever and ever. And all God's people said, that was pretty poor amen to the passage we just read. Let's try that again. And all God's people said, I mean, one of these days we're going to be in heaven and we will be a part of what is going on in this passage. And what I'd like to try to preach on this morning, and I do mean try, because how do you preach on worthy is the Lamb? How, how do you explain? Uh, I love the song. I, I had nothing to do picking the special this morning, but all that thrills my soul is Jesus. I, I, I love that hymn. I wish it were 100% true every moment of every day. How about you? It's hard to be totally thrilled with Jesus driving in New York City sometimes. How about it, brother? Uh, it's, it's hard when we look at other people and we allow other things to get inside and to bother us and take our attention off of the Lord Jesus Christ. I think one of the most frustrating things to me as a pastor... And one of the things that we strive for at this church is to offer to God worship that is acceptable. You want to know why Andrew keeps saying, come on, give me more. Listen, God wants our best. He wants us to give everything we have. You know why? Because He is worthy. Have you ever looked up that word in the dictionary? The dictionary does not do this word justice. It is such a poor uh, definition. And and that's why you'll hear me reference the dictionary often, but if you want the best dictionary of Bible terms... Use your Bible. Words are defined here. If you don't have a Strong's Concordance, uh, I don't know where Deborah is. Do we have any in the bookstore? We don't. We'll get some, all right? Uh, I I don't know how much. They used to be uh, uh, less than $20. I, I don't know. It's got every word in the Bible, every place it's found. And uh, it is... Well worth the effort to take a word like worthy and start in Genesis and read every verse in the Bible where the word is used. And I'll tell you, when you get to Revelation, you'll know what the word worthy means. And it'll be so much better than any dictionary you could ever find. Now, that was free. It has nothing to do with the sermon this morning. But if you want to understand things... Use your Bible. 
I, I love this chapter. Chapters 4 and 5 is the only place in the Bible where we as living human beings get just a little picture of what eternity is going to be like. What is going on in heaven. And if you haven't figured it out, let me, let me help you a little bit. Everything in chapters 4 and 5, it's all about God. It's nothing about anybody else. That's the key to true worship. You know what the key to false worship is? Me. Why do people get on their knees and walk for miles until they leave a trail of blood behind them as they approach some religious shrine or, or uh, place? Uh, they say that they're humbling themselves before God, but it's absolutely the opposite thing that is happening because only a very few people can endure that kind of pain and suffering, and so they become great. And God becomes little because they've done this huge service for God. Do you see how wicked that type of worship is? There are places called churches where people assemble on Sunday morning so that others can see how wonderful they are. I remember one time years ago, we were with Brother Dice, and uh, he was here for six months before he went out and started Gospel Light Baptist Church, and he and I were trying to find a place where they could have services. And we walked into a church and, and, and was looking at renting uh, the church possibly for services, and there on the bulletin board was last Sunday's offering. Name. Amount. Name. I'm out. And I mean, it was an incredible thing. I mean, I'm sitting there looking. I said, boy, we don't have anybody in our church like this group. And then I saw Joe Smith. That's not his name. I don't remember the real name. Wouldn't if I could. $19. And then right next to him was so-and-so with $100. So-and-so, $1,000. So-and-so, $500. And I'm sitting there going, man, I feel sorry for poor Joe. There he is on the bulletin board with all those big givers, 19 bucks. You know what? We don't know, but maybe Joe was given more than all of the others put together like the poor widow woman. But the church bulletin board isn't the place to promote that kind of thing. Because that promotes people, not God. You know, in verse 1 of chapter 5, he that sits on the throne is holding a book. And they make a search. A strong angel says, proclaims with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the book and loose the seals thereof? Now, I want to challenge you. Uh, for a moment, how many questions are asked in your Bible that God already knows the answer to? Hmm? Many, many questions 
What in the world? Beelzebub is here this morning. Somebody pray. Listen. How many questions are in your Bible asked that God already knows the answer to? Most of them. In fact, all of them are. God does not ask questions so that he can find out something. Do you ever think about that? Do you ever think about the fact that God does not think? He already knows. In fact, he knew before you could even think to ask the question. He knows because He is God. There is nothing He does not know, nothing He does not understand completely, nothing He does not know from the end, from the beginning. You and I, I mean, you, you can try. How many of you ever pick up a book and you read the end first to decide whether you want to get there or not? Uh, not, a, not a very wise way of doing things. But some people enjoy that. But God already knows the end before the beginning began. Because He's God. And so He asks, sends this angel out to proclaim, to have every person in heaven begin this search. Now, how many of you remember the search that was done in the nation of Israel when Achan had sinned? They called up every tribe. Boom. Boom, until Judah was picked. Then they started calling up every family until Carmi was picked. And then they started going through the individuals in his family until they found Achan, because he was the perpetrator. And Joshua looks at him and says, what have you done? We know you're the perpetrator. We know you've done it. We know you're the man responsible for 36 deaths in the battle yesterday. We know that you're the guy. Now tell us what you did and why. And he paid the price for that. Not only with his life, but the life of his family, because they were all part of the conspiracy. It's a terrible thing. But when God makes a search, the point I'm trying to make is he does it very thoroughly. This was not done. Now, you read in your Bible, uh, it, it would seem that this search was made in just a matter of seconds. But could I challenge you, it would take us a little longer to search in heaven than to say in heaven. It, it would take a, a little more definitive work to search in heaven, in earth. The Bible says under the earth, every nook and cranny of this universe was examined. Not because God expected to find somebody there. But to prove to you and I that nobody was there. So that we could know. You see, that's what the word worthy means. See, God is interested in one thing. He wants you and I to understand His worthiness. And that applies to every point. His holiness, His justice, His love, His righteousness, His power, His wrath, 
His authority, His compassion. God fills all in all. Can we say amen to that? And so this search was made. And poor John, he was the scribe. God had brought him there. He said, come up hither. I want to show you these things that are going to happen. And if you go back to chapter 1, he said, I want you to write these things down so people can see them. And so John's standing there just writing like crazy. Wow! Oh, oh, nobody is found and he is profoundly overcome with emotion because he doesn't have a clue to what's going on. And, and I say this often and I, I want to say it again. I want to remind us. One of the reasons God does not tell us much about heaven is because we wouldn't understand it. But I'll tell you, when we're there, it's going to be different. Kind of like marriage. Kids date. They think they're in love. But when you get married, it's all different, isn't it? It's very different. When we get to heaven, it's going to be different. It's going to be wonderfully different. We can't get it all now. But we need to take some time and think about it. We need to take some time and understand. And as this search was made, we have no question about He who sits upon the throne. That is God. God of the Old Testament. The God that spoke and everything that now is out of nothing became... And, you know, people have a lot of questions about why God did this and why God did that. If you'll just read the last verse of chapter 4, most of your questions will be answered if you're honest. And, And that simply says, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for Thou hast created all things, and for Thy pleasure they are and were created. Are you willing to accept because God said so? How many of you have kids? What's the last point in the why, 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 why? Why do the flowers grow? Because you plant the seed. Well, why do they turn different colors? Because that's what God made them to be. Uh, Why do we do that? Because I said so. Oh. Okay, they learned enough whys. Why isn't that good enough for God and you? That's what John's saying here. He created all things. He created them for his pleasure. Because he said so. What if I don't like it? Well, get your liker fixed, amen? God is not the problem. God is not the issue here. You are. And the reason why we are the issue is because He is worthy. 
You know, we have a, a generation that wants to redefine words. Uh, that's, that's what this whole sodomite marriage thing is that's going on in our society today. It's an attempt to redefine words. I, I'm sorry, you don't own the dictionary. Neither does less than 1% of the population of the United States, nor does its Supreme Court own the dictionary. God does. And he hasn't changed his definition, and he really doesn't care whether you want to write over top of it your own definition or not. He is the one that has the right to decide what is right and what is wrong. He calls good, good because it is about him. He calls evil, evil because it will separate you from God. Sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth what? We didn't do that very well. Sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. That's why God calls sin, sin. It will kill you. And so God makes this search as he holds this book. The angel commands the search to be made. And John is overwhelmed and one of the elders standing beside him. And I I simply believe the easiest understanding of 20 and 4 elders is we have 12 tribes of Israel and 12 apostles of the Lamb. We have 24. We have the saints as they are referred to in your Bible. The saved. And they are gathered around the throne. Because that's where we're going to be when we get to heaven. I've, I've heard people talk about mansions and strolling down the avenue and rafting down the river of life and all those wonderful things. And it's nice thoughts. But I'll tell you where we're going to be when we're in heaven. We're going to be around the throne. You won't be able to take your eyes off of him. I mean, the definition in the Bible here is just so vague. Years ago, they tried to make a movie about it, and the only thing they could come together with was colors and and shapes in a screen, and it was just terrible. The human mind cannot comprehend. But I'll tell you this. When we get there, you're not going to think about anything else. You're not going to be worried about somebody having hurt you. The only thing you're going to be consumed with is he who sits on the throne. And he's holding a book because he wants the attention of every creature. The cherub, the seraphim, the angels, the saints. He wants all of their attention. On that book that is in his right hand. And that book is so full of writing that the writing continues on the, starts on the front cover and goes to the back cover. And it's wrapped in seven bands, locking that book so that no one can open it. And this is more of a challenge than it is anything else. As they proclaim a search to be made for he who is worthy to open that book. 
course, there's only one. And here's John. <laughs> and one of the elders says, Stop it! Cut it out! We already know the answer. The lion of the tribe of Judah! He has prevailed! And then John looks through his tear-stained eyes. You have the throne. You have the four beasts around the throne. You have the 24 elders around. And in the very center of everything stands a lamb as it has been slain. You say, what do the seven eyes and the seven horns mean? I have no idea. And neither do you. Except the number seven in the Bible is the number of completeness. And that's as far as our little minds can go. And he walks up to the throne and takes the book out of the hand. This is done with authority. This is done with every right and privilege. Now, you stop and think about that. Who can stride into the presence of God except God. Except God. Jesus is God. You say, well, why is He different? Uh, He's not created. This is how God has chosen to reveal Himself to us, and you must either believe it or reject it. Faith is saying, this is what the Bible says. I'll just believe it. And He reaches out and takes that book. The next chapters are what happens when those seals are released. And that last seal opens up seven trumpets, and the last trumpet, seven vials. And by the time those judgments are released upon this earth, somewhere between two-thirds and three-quarters of the world's population is now dead. There's no green grass. There's no fresh water on the face of planet earth. There's no wind. There are no hills. The mountains are all moved Everything geographically we know about the earth has been marred and altered to a point to when it's all over, He makes a new heaven and a new earth. But He takes that book and they sing a song. Now let's look at the words of that song. Verse 9, And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain. That's the first step. Thou wast slain, and because he was slain, he has redeemed us. To God. How did He redeem us to God? 
by thy blood. Where do we stand? Where do we come from? Out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. People read the book of Revelation and all the judgments that are in there. And sometimes they question the love of God and all of these things as they read the terrible things that are going to happen. Let me explain something to you. No one, no living human being has endured God's judgment without first rejecting God's mercy. That's why he's worthy. You see, Jesus, when he was on the cross... We talked about this in our ladies' meeting yesterday. The first letter was P. He paid the price of sins. He paid for it all. One offering for sins forever. And all God's people said, you got to say amen to that. That's why he's worthy. You see... He has redeemed us. And I've had people ask questions. So, so you're telling me that only through Jesus can somebody be saved. What about the aborigines? Huh? What about them? I always like to go, yeah, what about them? Well, yeah, they don't know about Jesus. I said, how do you know that? Have you been there? Have you visited them? Do you talk to them? They have no evidence of any, any influence from the outside world for 3,000 years. Well, what about before that? You see, if I'm not mistaken, even the aborigines have a thing called marriage. Where'd they learn that? You have to go to college and be trained in stupid to understand... Or to believe that this thing called marriage is a development of a Western civilization. I mean, you've, you've got to have a degree in dumbness to come to that conclusion. You can't get there by accident. Somebody's got to help you. You can't be that foolish on your own. But we have lots of helpers today. Most of them are called politicians, but... Excuse me, sorry. Uh, But we've got them out there. If the aborigines could come up with an idea of marriage, then they had to have some connection to this book called the Bible somewhere. Because that's where it came from. And by the way, my favorite story is, what did God say about the Canaanites as the children of Israel going into the land of Canaan? He said, kill them all. Genocide. God said, okay, well, let's, let's finish. How many of you know the story of Rahab? The, what was Rahab? Rahab the harlot? 
Is that, uh, does God condone that type of lifestyle? No, every word in the Bible is against it. But you see, Rahab had something that God knew about in her life. It was called a willingness to believe. It's called faith. And if God cared enough to stop at Jericho and pick up the family of Rahab the harlot, instead of trusting the perverts at National Pornograph I mean Geographic, I'm going to trust the character of God for what went on that I have no idea of being able to know about. You know what we call that? We call that giving God the benefit of the doubt instead of giving the idiots the benefit of the doubt. And we use that as a medical term. You have to have an IQ below 60 to qualify. And uh, if you believe some of the things that they say they believe, it that that's just where you have to end up. I'm sorry. Maybe that's rude. Uh, don't mean to be today. But how intelligent do you have to be to believe some college professor and ignore what's written in this Bible? I want to challenge you. That doesn't come by accident. You have to do it on purpose. The Bible says the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. You see, he is worthy because he has redeemed us. It says out of every language, out of every, uh, the Bible word here is out of every tongue, out of every kindred, out of every people, out of every nation. And then he's done something else. It says, and has made us unto our God kings and priests. Do you get that? He's taken those people that he redeemed and he has elevated them to a position of kings And priests. Now, a king is not too hard to figure out. A king is a ruler. He has an area that he is in charge of, that that he has absolute authority over. That's a king, right? Priest. What's a priest? A priest is one who stands between a non-priest and God. It's a pretty simple definition, isn't it? You see, there's a lot of people out there that can't get to God. You know why? Because they never heard. That's why Brother Switzer's going to South Africa. They've heard all about religion. They use all the right names. They talk about Peter, James, and John. But they don't say, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. See, you have to be a priest to talk directly to God. That's why in this church, every believer is a priest. And you can't become a member of the church until you have a direct connection to God that you get through salvation. And you know what you're supposed to do with that direct connection to God that He's given you in salvation? Is you're supposed to take it to the world in which you live. Uh, That sounds like a priest to me. Amen? It says, Thou hast made us kings and priests unto our God. And we shall reign on the earth. 
Isn't that going to be fun? The only problem is all the utopians who are trying to build peace on earth aren't going to be there to see it. They'll be somewhere else. Under the eternal judgment of God. So don't get disheartened when it looks like they're winning because they're not. This is the last chapter. Not of the book of Revelation, but of the history of mankind. And it says, Thou hast made us kings and priests unto our God, and we shall reign on the earth. And at that proclamation, those two reasons, every creature begins this symphony of praise. Now look what it says. And I beheld and I heard the voice of many angels. So we have angels and the elders and the beast. And that's why I use the word every creature because it's the only word that describes living things. And the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000. That's a million. And thousands of thousands. That just simply means millions and millions. That's how many beings are going to be there. We can't number it. Now, here's the song that everybody sings. What's it start with? Worthy. Worthy. Worthy is the Lamb. That word worthy, if you just look it up in the dictionary, means of high valuation. When it's talked about, uh, uh, it's used as a noun sometimes that he is a worthy, means he is of the highest level. It was a title that was given to uh, some Englishmen. They didn't deserve it. But Jesus does. Amen. And look what he's going to receive. It says, worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power. How could Jesus have any more power than to have power over death and the grave? And over every enemy until they're all his, at his feet. And then he turns everything over to God, that God may be all in all. That's 1 Corinthians chapter 15. You know what the problem is? The problem is we don't esteem God as already having all riches. That was like the man that was praying. He thought he was pretty smart. He said, Dear God, the Bible says a thousand years is as a day. And a day is a thousand years in your sight. So I guess a dollar would be like a thousand dollars in your sight. And a thousand dollars would be like a dollar. He says, dear God, can I have a dollar? God says, tomorrow. That's the way we pray sometimes, is it not? 
Dear God, all I need is this little thing and you have so much. Could you just give me this one little thing? That borders on blasphemy, my friend. really does. He is worthy of being treated a little better than that. Remember, as a little boy, my mom used to listen to all the crazy nutcase radio uh, television preachers before we go to church and hear real preaching. I have no clue, but met this one guy was on there and he was going off. Yeah, he said, I asked God for a brand new Lincoln Continental and he didn't hear me. So I yelled a little louder and I told him, you give me that car. And he did. And I'm sitting here going. As a teenager, I'm listening to this foolishness. This blasphemy against the God of heaven. Listen. He owns everything. Why do we treat it like it's ours? That's what this song is talking about. Wisdom. Who could be more wise than Jesus Christ? Look at his parables. How with the same set of words in the same room, he drew a certain group of people closer to him and gave him a greater understanding at the very same instance. He was infuriating to the point of madness those that hated him. Nobody's ever done that except him. But how many of you have ever tried to explain to God how He had to answer your prayers? Don't look at me that way. We've all done it. If He's worthy to receive wisdom, it's time for us to shut up and sit down. Start looking at God. Riches. Wisdom, strength. Who is stronger? They mocked Jesus when he was on the cross and said, Come down and we'll believe that you're the Christ. Do you think if he had pulled those nails out and jumped off that cross and said, Okay, I'm here, what are you going to do now? You know what their first word would have been? Centurion, put him back, put him back. He spoke one word in the garden and the whole troop sent to arrest him fell on their face. Because they have to when he speaks. Peter tried to defend him. I love Peter. I just really do. Not just because my name's Peter. I just love what he did. He's going to protect the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, don't you know that I could call legions of angels? One angel got 180,000 Assyrians in one night. Could you imagine what thousands of angels would do? We'd have to call the cosmic street sweeper with one of them little things, you know, with the lid and sweep up the entire universe into the ash can and throw it away. Uh, If God unleashed the angels, there'd be nothing left. And yet, we judge him as powerless to stop the evil and the problems in our society instead of realizing God is using everything 
But he expects us to keep our attention on him instead of them. Power. Riches. Wisdom. Strength. I'm sorry. Honor. Glory. And blessing. I hope that when Yukari was singing that song, all that thrills my soul is Jesus. That you were sitting there in your seat going, yeah, I love that. Yes. You know what that is? That's blessing the Lord. When we sing those hymns, not have I gotten, but what I... Re-. I'm only a sinner. You know what we're doing? We're saying He is worthy. See, that's what we're supposed to do. Can we say amen to that? We're going to do it when we get here. It wouldn't hurt for you to practice a little bit right here at Open Door Bible Baptist Church. Today. Could we say amen to that? Now that means you're going to do it. You're on the hook now, right? You see... I want you to turn with me to Luke chapter 15 for a moment. We're going to be done very quickly. How many of you are familiar with the story of the prodigal son? Would you lift up a hand just so I know? How many of you know the story of the prodigal? Luke chapter 15. The prodigal went to his father. He was the younger of the two sons. And he asked his father to divide his living while he's still alive. He says, Father, I I don't want to wait till you're dead. I I want you to settle your will now so I can have everything that I'm going to get. What kind of a son would that be? Uh, Not... Not a very good one, I want to tell you. There's problems. But we're not here to evaluate the problems. But he went out and he spent everything he had on riotous living. Living against God. He went into a far country because he knew he couldn't stay at home and do that kind of stuff. Because people would shame him because of who his father was. And so he left and he went far away. And he ended up in the pig pen wishing he could have the food that the pigs ate. Because he was hungry. You know how hungry you'd have to be to one hog slop? You'd have to be pretty hungry. But I'll tell you one thing. History tells us that people do terrible things when they're hungry. And that's where he was. And let's start in verse 19. Verse 17, the first phrase says, And when he came to himself. So here he is. In the pig pen, feeding the pigs, and he finally wakes up and says, Whoa, I'm a Jew. I shouldn't be here in the pig pen. Verse 19. Oh, let's read 17. I will rise and go to my father and will say unto him, I have sinned against heaven and before thee and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. He's got a plan. He said, I'm going to go home. 
And I'm going to tell my father that I'm not worthy to be his son anymore, but if he'll just hire me on as one of the servants in the house, at least I'll have clothes to wear and food to eat. Now, what was the father's response? Verse 20, And he arose and came to his father. But when he was a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And you can see the son pushing the father away. And the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight and no more worthy to be called thy son. He got his speech out. But what did the father do? But the father said to his servants. He wasn't talking to the son. He didn't pay a bit of attention to what the son said. I can't tell you how many people come into my office and they say, Pastor, you need to understand my sin and my problems. And I try to tell them, no, I don't. You need to understand this. The father called the servants and said, bring a robe. By the way, you don't put a clean robe on a dirty boy. You give him a bath first. I imagine they stood him out back and hosed him down with a fire hose first and then let him into the house to take a real bath to get the filth and the crud off of him from his life and sin. And they put a ring on his finger signifying what family he was a member of. He had sold the other one for sin a long time ago. And they made him the guest of honor at a feast. So much so that the elder son was angry and wouldn't even come in the house. You see, he is worthy. But have you forgotten what it was to repent of your sins and try to salvage the mess of your life and stand in the presence of God only for Him to not pay a bit of attention to you. Because you see, it's not befitting God to have a servant that doesn't live better than the greatest king that's ever lived on earth. You see, you have to understand this worthy thing touches you and I where we are. We're the prodigal. We come home. He loves us. And He elevates us to kings and priests after we've lived in the hog pen of sin. And we can't even treat Him as He so rightly deserves. He has all the riches, all the strength, all the power, all the glory, all the honor, all the wisdom. And somehow we think we're going to help him out. That was was the prodigal's problem. 
you ever think about how the prodigal had to feel? As he knew, he could feel the heat coming through the walls. His elder brother had just walked in the backyard and found out what was going on. How many of you have ever had to put up with that kind of scorn and hatred from another human being? And yet he could not leave the position of the guest of honor at the party without dishonoring his father. And he wasn't going to do that again. You see, the father was worried, not worried, but the father was elevating his own reputation by taking care of the son who came home. Hebrews chapter 2 tells us that Jesus is not ashamed to call us brethren. But in order for him to do that, he's got to dress you up a little bit. He's got to clean you up. He can't live, let you live the way that you are right now. Because you're not worthy to step into the palace. You're not worthy to be the garbage sanitation man. But he wants you to be the guest of honor. Because he's worthy. Can you get that? Worthy is the Lamb that was slain. Because He's redeemed us by His blood out of every nation, out of every people, out of every language. He has made us kings and priests unto our God. We're going to reign here on this earth. And it will be a time, a thousand year kingdom of peace. Because He is worthy. He wants to make you worthy to be called his brethren. It's time to let go of these little petty things that we're holding on to. It's time to lay them down. Put our focus on Jesus Christ. By the way, he is the head of the church. His body. And all God's people said. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning.